uh, open up uh, today and uh, believe the Lord to help us. Uh, and so we're in Luke 7, uh, 13, verses 10 through 17. Go ahead, brother, if you could read that for us this morning. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who for 18 years had had a sickness caused by a spirit. And she was bent double and could not straighten up at all. And when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your sickness. And he laid his hands upon her, and immediately she was made erect again and began glorifying God. And the synagogue official, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, began saying to the multitude in response, There are six days in which work should be done. Therefore, come during them and get healed, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead him away to water him? And this woman, a daughter of Abraham, as she is, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years, should she not have been released from this bond on the Sabbath day? And as he said this, all his opponents were being humiliated, and the entire multitude was rejoicing over all the glorious things being done by him. Okay, so we're looking at uh, uh, healing and we are uh, connecting uh, spiritual activity with it. And so we've uh, gone over this now for some time, uh, that man is spirit, that is not, we are not just uh, a machine, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, you, you, you may think that your car has a demon, but it really doesn't. It's a machine. And so uh, you have a problem, they trace it back and they find, uh, you know, uh, some sort of a broken wire or a failure in the ignition switch or, you know, any number of things that might go wrong. But when it comes to the human body, it, it doesn't work like that. There's more involved. Uh, there are spiritual uh, realities. And uh, we've covered that. We've talked about how today, very often you hear about uh, things like anxiety, stress, depression, uh, words that would be normally associated with personality uh, and uh, emotion that now figure very prominently when you start talking about health because they, they understand that there's something else going on. And Christianity operates in this domain. It deals with issues of joy. It deals with peace and it deals with forgiveness. And that addressing them uh, with the gospel makes a, 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 a tremendous amount of, di of difference in a person's life. So, you know, we've talked about how guilt uh, can figure in sickness or uh, rebellion or witchcraft. Uh, you can, uh, it begins to play itself out in people's lives. But I wanted to take a little time this morning and talk to you about the issue of bitterness and pain, because this is very, very common uh, uh, when you're praying for people and you begin to talk to them and minister to them uh, and you begin to inquire about different things in people's lives. A lot of times, uh, you know, occasionally you talk to somebody and they'll say, yeah, I've been to a good undetta or, or participated in some sort of occult activity and you can pray with them and, and get results and uh, guilt uh, sometimes you're ministering to people, but I would say in the vast majority of people, it is 
uh, in the realm of unforgiveness and bitterness. And so uh, we want to uh, look at that this morning. A couple of verses. Uh, if you want to read, I need uh, Proverbs 12, verse 4. If you want to read Mike and Proverbs 14, verse 30. Uh, who can I have? Michael, if you can get that. And uh, I need, um, uh, let's see here, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 30. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 30. Larry, if you could get that. Uh, James 5, verse 20. Joe Michael. And uh, Isaiah 53, 5 and 6. Tracy. James 5, 13 through 16. Barb, you can uh, uh, look at that. And okay, so... Uh, let's, um, uh, let's, uh, uh, consider this this morning. And so violations in life can take a physical toll on a person. Okay. I don't think that I have to spend a lot of time convincing you of that, that violations in life do take a physical, a physical toll on a person. Proverbs 12 verse four. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. But she who causes shame is like rottenness in his bones. Okay, so here is uh, uh, some sort of a marital breakdown. She that causes shame is like rottenness in his bones. Okay, so there, there's, there's something about it. People that have been through the trauma of divorce uh, and uh, broken relationships, particularly marriage, which is the most intimate of all human relationships, uh, uh, does often play a physical toll in a person. Proverbs 14, verse 30. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Envy is rottenness to the bones. And so uh, he, both of these instances, there's emotional uh, upset and problems that's being held inside people and uh, it begins to have something uh, take place physically. Something starts to uh, transpire inside of them. And, uh, and this is really very, very, very interesting. Uh, Tony, put up the first uh, 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 article or little comment that I gave you. So, so this is from a very interesting article. This is not a Christian uh, I believe I, I pulled this out of Time Magazine, but I think they got it from somewhere. But li- listen to this. It says, what could cancer have in common with, broken, with a broken heart? These researchers are working to find out. Broken heart syndrome is a real thing, though it's also called stress-induced cardiomyopathy or Takotsubo cardiomyopathy. It's triggered by intensely stressful situations like losing a loved one. You know how some couples die within just a few days of each other? That's an example of the syndrome. Symptoms include sudden chest pain caused by the surge of stress hormones. And now new research published in the Journal of the American Heart Association says broken heart syndrome may be linked to cancer. The study published on Wednesday found that one in six people with broken heart syndrome also developed cancer. And they were more likely to die within five years after their diagnosis compared to those without broken heart syndrome. And so what it's telling us is that emotional uh, factors can play a part in, in triggering sickness. 
this again, you know, we can go to the Bible and we can see these verses, but this is just simply research that is done. And perhaps the reason why bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness uh, figure so prominently in uh, people being sick is because lots of people wrestle with bitterness and unforgiveness. It's more common. It's just more a part of the human personality. How many know in this life you're going to get hurt every once in a while? Oh, man. You're going to be offended. If you're going to live your life in, in a, a, a socially the way God intended us, then you're going to put yourself around people. People are not perfect. You're not perfect. And uh, after a while, you're going to find that you're going to bruise and you're going to bruise others. And uh, the Christian life demands that you and I fight to keep our heart right and process things. If you will, take out the trash twice a week. If you don't do that, pretty soon these uh, simple violations of life are going to start accumulating and it's going to begin to have a physical toll on your body. First Corinthians 11, verse 30. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you and many sleep. And so this is a, a very interesting commentary. It's about the Lord's Supper. And as he's writing, he's talking about the breakdown of relationships. Uh, and uh, people were participating in the Lord's Supper uh, but uh, there was conflicts, there were strife, there were all kinds of things going on. And, and he adds this, for this reason, many are sick and some of you have even died. And, and so this begins to operate in us. And so I know we'd say, well, pastor, you're preaching to the choir here because we're Christians. And as Christians, we all know that you can't hold bitterness towards people and you have to forgive them. How many know knowing that and doing that are sometimes two different things? And so this is a lesson for all of us. Years ago, I, I put this little thing together. Go ahead and put this uh, up. Uh, and just about how bitterness mixes in so many different ways in the human personality. Bitterness with selfishness is self-pity. Okay, you take someone who's selfish or they just think about themselves Add the bitterness to the ingredients, to the recipe, and you get self-pity. Self-pity is anger when you're self-focused. And so, you know, people uh, forget uh, your birthday. Uh, 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 something happens and they forgot to reach out to you. Uh, you don't get invited to the, to the party. And... and uh, when your world is about you and you're violated, it turns inward, self-pity. My opinion is self-pity is more addicting than methamphetamines. Once you start drinking self-pity, you become addicted to it. It becomes your default. And you can find yourself just feeling totally hurt and violated by people. When you're self-pity, you're easily offended and uh, because the whole world revolves around you. Bitterness with rebellion is witchcraft. When you allow bitterness 
to mix with a rejection of, uh, of authority in your life, then you open yourself up uh, to witchcraft because the ultimate rebel was Satan. And uh, he will come, put his arm around you, and uh, get in your ear, and uh, you can see all kinds of trouble. Mix bitterness with jealousy, and you get envy. Mix bitterness with violence, and you have murder. Mix bitterness with pride, and you have racism. Mix bitterness with lust, and you have rape. Bitterness with words, you have cursing. And so the idea is this, this is how it operates and how it finds expression in so many people's lives. And it becomes such a common component when it comes to dealing with sickness in people because uh, so many people wrestle uh, with these issues. And they begin to play a role and they begin to cause all kinds of problems uh, in people's lives. Uh, look up uh, number two. Here's another article. It says, we often think of forgiveness as something we do for the sake of someone else. But new research shows that's not the whole story. When people engage in forgiveness, it changes their physiology, says Dr. Robert Enright. As the founder of the International Forgiveness Institute and the author of The Forgiving Life and Eight Keys to Forgiveness, Enright has been pioneering the study of the power of forgiveness for three decades. Forgiveness helps you get rid of what we call toxic anger, he says, the type that can literally kill a person. In 2009, study published in the journal Psychology and Health, Enright and a team of researchers examined the effects of forgiveness on cardiac patients with coronary heart disease. They found that those subjects who had engaged in forgiveness experienced significantly improved cardiac blood flow even four months after the forgiving had taken place. So here again, their researchers are looking at this and they're, they're you know, you can, again, you can't measure this. You can't attach, you know, a, 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 you know, a doodat to somebody and pull up a, a machine and it shows their forgiveness monitor. If you've ever been hooked up to an EKG, you know, and it's showing your heart rate and, you know, and how everything's going. There's no, we can't connect him, say, strap on the, the, the bitterness and, and put it on there. And, and then it, and it shows you, oh, this guy's really bitter. We, 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 they can't measure this stuff. But they're realizing that this is something that needs to, uh, to uh, be addressed. My wife was uh, telling me about, uh, she was uh, uh, looking at this, um, you know, just various diets and things like that. And there was, uh, it was talking about, you know, eating healthy and how, you know, you eat this and you shouldn't eat that. But it was very interesting that Yolanda said, I want you to listen to this because they're talking about just nutrition, eating right and on and on. But the, the individual that was talking then, then said, but let me just get to the real issue. This is not Christian. The real issue is you need to forgive. If you're angry, those anger is causing all kinds of physical, and they're a doctor, and they're going into all this. And, and it just seems like, you know, to go from uh, carbohydrates uh, to, to, and sugar to anger. And that, you know, you, you could eat healthy and do all that, and that's a good thing, but it, it won't do you any good if you're angry. 
And so what we're looking at is something that's very, very real, that there is a rottenness that begins to take place in us when there's violation and there's hurt, and we don't uh, seek to uh, resolve that. Anybody here want to contribute at this point? I hear Jana. Anybody else? Oh, come on now. Everybody's like, no, I'm not speaking. I'm too mad. Barb? One more? Amen. I was really hoping to get a testimony of someone that got free and said, you know what, I battled this and God helped me. Anybody else? I'm going to hold this for a moment longer. Michelle. Okay. Go ahead, Jen. I just want to show, uh, tell a personal testimony of mine. When we got sent out to College Station in 2005, we got in contact with these two teenage girls when we got into the city. Um, they're super excited. They were kind of a part of the fellowship in another state. And um, one of them was in trouble in and out of juvie, so we opened up her home. It was either juvie or come live with us. Um, we opened up our home. She started going to school with me and my oldest sister. And, but she was, she was struggling with the way we lived our life. We didn't have a TV. We didn't go to movies. Just certain standards that we had. She was like, how do you live like this? And it's like, you know, we were born and raised. We don't know any different. Like, we don't know, like, you know, what people do out in the world. They're like, you know, this is just how we we're raised up. Um, long story short, she, I guess she couldn't handle it. She decided to run away in the middle of the night. So when we went to go wake her up for school in the morning, she was gone and the window was open. Um, I, I remember going into the room finding it like that. And I remember immediately like this self-righteous spirit came over me and I was like, how dare she disrespect my parents coming into our home just for no reason, just self-righteous, like looking down on her. Um, I remember going to school that day. I couldn't speak. I was so, so angry. Um, years passed and everything. I remember being angry that turned into bitterness, that turned into resentment and just, just a defiant. I'm like, God, I can't get over this. And I remember, you know, just going to church and my dad, I I doubt that my parents knew what I was going through, but he would preach on it. Like, all right, I'm going to preach on forgiveness. I'm going to preach on bitterness and immediately feeling like, I locked up. I'm like, no, like defiant, just defiant, um, deliberate disobedience. I'm like, I can't do it, God. Like, I, I will not forgive her. You don't, you don't understand. Um, but um, when I got diagnosed with cancer and they would run tests and, you know, run your medical history, there was no explanation why I got diagnosed with cancer at all. They couldn't find it. So it's like, all right, we're just going to have to go through this. It's going to be a two and a half year treatment process of chemo. Um, and then I remember one day I was, I was just laying down, just no energy, just feeling sorry for myself. And, you know, I cried out to God. I was like, you know, God, like, what's going on? Like, why do I have to go through this? And immediately I felt like God told me, it's just like, you won't forgive, you know, and kind of how you said, like, when you, you don't forgive and you kind of just, you know, shake your fist at God or shake your fist at whoever hurts you, you, you kind of give the devil that foothold to kind of come in and affect your body, whether it's your mind, whether it's physically and start making you sick. And um, when I had that revelation, to be honest, I still struggled. And I'm like, okay, now I understand why I got sick and I got diagnosed, but I still, honestly, I still struggled. I'm like, I can't, like, I can't, you know, it, it went past more of just like, oh, she disrespected my parents. It's more personal because we, we built that friendship and she was older than me, so I, I kind of looked up to her. But, um, but eventually, when I finally had that moment, I'm just like, God, like, I can't, like, 
you know, when her name was mentioned or any reference to her was mentioned, like just that, that rage, you know, that, that fire ignited in me. And I'm like, that's, it's not okay. Like, it's not okay to, and it took years to be honest. But when I finally surrendered and I'm like, God, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Like, you know, I, I believe that you want to use my life and you want to use me to help others, but, but yet I won't give you this, this, um, this area of my life. Like I, I keep holding on to it. Um, but I surrendered, I repented, and uh, it was the craziest thing. Like, God truly took that bitterness away. So now if I, honestly, if I were to see her, if I were to hear her name, I would be happy. I'm like, oh my God, it's so great to see you. And, but coming from that dramatic change of just like hatred and resentment and bitterness, but kind of how you said, if it's not resolved, it just opens the door to sickness and even possibly worse. Uh, very powerful. Hold on, Jenna. Um, the cancer you had, mine, it, can, yes. you, can you explain that? Because a lot of people don't know. Yes. Um, in February of 07, I got diagnosed with ALL, which is acute lymphoblastic leukemia. It was a cancer of the white blood cells. So, and it, it started in my bone marrow. And kind of how you said, it's rottenness to the bones, if not resolved. And just, you know, medically, they're just like, okay, okay, whatever. But like how you said, it's like... It's a spiritual thing, and it's not a coincidence that it was in my bones. It wasn't a coincidence of how everything coincided of just that issue with her and unforgiving and having to go through. And even once I repented and got it right, you know, we believe God for immediate miracles, immediate healing, but I still had to finish out my chemo, finish out my treatments. But it was that reference point where now when I hear people, you know, some people just kind of throw out the word like, oh man, I hate you, or I hate that person. Now it bothers me and I have to speak up. I'm like, okay, listen, you know, you may not get along with everybody, but don't use that word because it, you get too comfortable with it. Mm, okay, praise God. So that's 12 years ago. Our sister's getting married next month and that's a miracle. <laughs> Hallelujah. All right, Barb. Well, I was going to ask a question, but I think she answered it. <laughs> <laughs> but... To like to nip it, like to uh, like us. Okay, like like parents and children. Even the Bible says like the grief, like like words like grief and hurt, and and so this relationship. You got to deal with grief and hurt the right way, or it just well you know it's just a well inside turning to the bitter. But but. Uh, you know, like parents and children, um, like even in, in the Proverbs in different places, the, the Bible says the grief of the father just won't be resolved or a grief of a mother. It just goes on and on and uh -huh. on and on and it doesn't stop. And so he... <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, I lost it now. I don't know. <laughs> but those two words are, are like start first, like hurt and grief. Yeah. And then 30 years of, or like walking through a divorce with a child. And you got to, okay, they're poking my eyes out again. <laughs> I forgive you. Ouch. I forgive you. Ouch. <laughs> And I, I guess just that's why Jesus died. Never mind. <laughs> no, well, let me just mention a couple of things that are very important issues. I think one is that everybody here that's young 
needs to understand that your, your, uh, your parents don't say, oh, you're 18, I detach myself from you emotionally. Okay, you're 18, my job's done, and now they become a stranger. They're going to, no, 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 your kids are your kids all your life. You're still going to feel their successes will be your successes, their failures will be your failures, uh, and, and that's the way it is. So everybody that's young needs to uh, remember that. And, uh, and so you're like, you know, I'm, you know, I'm already nine years old, you know, yeah. and so, you know, we get that attitude sometimes with parents that because, you know, they're, they're trying to speak into your life and you're an adult now. As a parent, we understand that when they're adult, you speak all you want, they're going to do what they want. Okay? They're not going to, they're going to, they're not going to, um, you know, that's just the way it is. And they're not being disrespectful and everything. It's just that you, we, we, we have to influence them a different way. That's all we can do. And if we offer advice and they reject our advice, it's not because they're disobedient. They're not kids anymore. They're adults. It's like the whole issue of dating, you know. Uh, you know, people come to me because they're, you know, this person and, and, uh, and it's like, well, how many, what kind of role did your parents play when you got married? Okay. For 99% of us, they played no role whatsoever, but now we have kids. Now we're obsessing and in the middle of it and everything. Anyway, the point is that, but the part but like Barb said, scripturally, you know, the Bible says that uh, uh, Rebecca was vexed over the women that Esau was getting involved in. Esau was 40 years old and she was vexed. So there you go. And, uh, and so it, that's the reality. So then the question really is, what does a parent do, or particularly a woman, a mother, with the emotions that she feels towards her children? How does she process that? What do you say to the mother whose son is in prison right now? Okay, what do you say to the parent whose son or daughter is estranged from the family? You know, what, what do you say? Well, I believe that is that there's a powerful biblical principle that I could lay a scriptural proof that a mother's prayers are very, very powerful be, precisely because of the level of passion and in interest that she has in the welfare of her children that that causes her to bring a certain weightiness to her prayers that perhaps you wouldn't have otherwise. The very fact that Jesus happens to walk past the funeral and sees this grieving mother is moved by this woman, by, the, by, by what's going on in her, that he interrupts the funeral and raises the son and gives him back to the mother. The, uh, you know, whether it's the passion of Hannah's prayer, uh, Rizpah, who's praying, or, or, you know, defending her sons that have been killed because of a curse. And I mean, we could go uh, through the Bible, but, but I think the answer to, to the question really is that, okay, yes, the choices of my children, even adult children, weigh on me emotionally and want to bring out of me anger and bitterness, which does us no good. Okay, you know, there's a, a somebody told me that... Uh, I think Scott Lamb told me this story when he pastored in El Paso and uh, he was saying that, uh, uh, that somebody told him that, uh, that worked as in EMS that a very common um, uh, event 
for people that are in EMS is that the family has a family to get together and all the conflicts after a few beers, everybody starts fighting and, and all that. And then uh, the, the, the nana, the grandmother, the abuelita, whatever you want to call her, starts feigning a heart attack uh, and, uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, EMS comes and they immediately figure it out. You know what it is? Family get together. Everybody, all the family drama rises, and, and the way it always resolves is at the end, Nana's having a heart attack. And it's basically, your actions are going to kill me. Okay, the old Fred Sanford, I'm coming to join you, Elizabeth. And, and, and so, okay, that, there's that way of doing it. You know, I mean, there are actually parents who say, I'm going to die an early death because of you. That's not a wise thing to say. So, well, what's the answer? The answer is that, that that has to fuel our intercession and prayer for them. It has to make us prayer warriors. You know, the idea of the widow or the, you know, the, the prayer warrior, you know, where does that come from? What it really comes from is no other means to affect change except that right there. Anger, ranting, threatening, guilting, shaming, it doesn't change anything. But it feeds something in you. And so the answer is, hey, I've got to, I've got to, the only way I can process this stuff and get peace is if I pray and I intercede and I bring them before God and fight. And without going too far off uh, uh, to another issue, when you are interceding for people, sometimes you are going to feel like you're in a fist fight. You are going to feel like you're, you're going to feel the battle and the struggle. That's why people don't pray. That you will, it, because you are, you're saying, this is how I'm going to process my, my worry, my concern. I'm going to process it and get in there and I'm going to fight and I'm going to contend in prayer. And, it, and walk away from that and knowing that's how I'm going to invest myself. Because other things just seem to be counterproductive. Okay. Michelle. Um, it's just something I witnessed when I was younger. Uh, I remember staying with an aunt, and she was about 35 years of age at that time. I don't know, I was really young, but she was beautiful and young, and um, she was a single mother of six kids. Six, uh, she had three daughters and three sons. And um, I remember her meeting this man, and he moved in the, in the home, and um, Within a few months, he started uh, molesting my cousins, the girls. And um, eventually the family found out and um, they kicked him out of the house after a couple of months. But she grew so much, she never said anything. So because of that, she grew so much like guilt and bitterness inside of her. And I remember her just laying there and she was always depressed and we'll all be playing. Like, like I said, I was probably like nine or 10, but you know, we'll be playing and she's just laying in her bed. And um, within a few months later after that, my cousins were playing outside. They had a basketball court in the driveway. And the whole wall that was connected there, um, it just fell on one of them. And he died. He was 13. And he, he died just right when it fell on him. And so on top of that, um, she became even more depressed. Now she was holding on to that guilt. She never said anything about her daughters. And then now her son, you know, he was, he, he was dead. And um, so I remember being young and just seeing her laying there and laying there and she, she never wanted to get off that bed. And um, I remember her going to the doctor and 
I probably within six months to seven months, um, she was already laying in a hospital bed and her skin had turned like black clay. And I remember as like being so curious, but no, no one wanted to tell me like what's going on. I mean, I was really young and I asked one of our family members, like what, what's wrong with her? What is it? And one of my aunts, another aunt said, you know, she never forgave and she, she was bitter and she was angry inside. Um, now she has lupus and she had the, the worst stage of lupus. Her, like you said, rotting of the bones. And when you said that, it reminded me, it took me back to that scary, the way she looked. She looked so scary. She was, her skin turned like clay and she was black and her eyes were just bulging out and she was in her last days. And she never said a word about what happened. I'm just the family, but she never called the police. She never, no one ever spoke of that. And because of that, you know, she died a very ugly death. Very, very sobering. Uh, n number three, Tony. Another, another study, Charlotte Van Oyen, uh, wit lit a psychology professor at Hope University, examined the emotional and physiological effects that occur when people rehearsed hurtful memories and nursed grudges. When participants recalled a grudge, their physical arousal soared, their blood pressure and heart rate increased, and they sweated more. They also found ruminating about their grudges stressful and unpleasant. However, when Wivlet asked the participants to try to empathize with their offenders or imagine forgiving them, they experienced greater perceived control and lower physiological stress responses. So again, you know, we're, we're, just, we're just looking at this just from people who are just examining this and trying to understand the power of unforgiveness and the power of forgiveness. So the gospel is introducing forgiveness. That's what it is. It's introducing the dimension of forgiveness. James 5 verse 20. Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. He who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. You know, if you think about it this morning, maybe today you are involved in a grudge. You've been violated. You, you're, you know, you're hearing all these things. Uh, and in your mind, perhaps you're like, well, you know, I mean, I'm completely justified the way I feel the way I feel. I got burned. Well, let me help you. hundred percent of people feel completely justified in how they feel. Right? I mean, that, that's what gets us is that, well, yeah, you really don't have the right to be bitter because you are 50% responsible or 40%. But in this one, I'm obviously the victim. And, and that's how we judge ourselves. Remember, well, let's go, you go back to the menu. Self, mix self with bitterness, you get self-pity. I'm a victim. And, uh, and so this starts operating and working in our lives and it ministers. And we all know the, the only real response is to forgive. It's the only way to break the cycle. It's the only way to stop this, this whole thing is, is to forgive. There's, there's nothing else. You have to get to the point where you realize this is not helpful. Isaiah 53, 5 and 6. 
Who was that? Okay, go ahead, Tracy. Okay. Isaiah 53, 5 and 6. For it. Fifty-three, five, and six. Yes. But he was wounded for our transgressions; he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray; we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus Christ's death. And resurrection, we call that the atonement. That means that he satisfied the price. He paid the price, the atonement for our sin. Part of that atonement was healing. It's very, very important that we understand that. Healing is part of the atonement. It is part of why he died on the cross and he rose from the dead. When he said, Father, forgive them. He, at, at the, in the midst of this crucifixion, at the completion of it, it wasn't j- it's, it's more than just nice words. It's more than just, hey, here's the, an example of what he went through and he forgave. It's part of purchasing something for us. Every one of us who have experienced violation and hurt, salvation it give, it for, uh, brings forgiveness but it also brings the power to forgive. That the healing is linked to the forgiveness. Healing is linked to forgiveness. That this is all part of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. So that Christians don't, should be known for our ability to not hold on to things. That that's part of our testimony. Last night, Nikki forgave Abdullah when he stabbed him in the hand, you know? And so we look at that. Here's a 50-year-old movie that still resonates because it deals with the the basic human condition. And the Christian is the guy who forgives. It's the person who forgives. That that is what it is. If if you were to run a little test and show some little vignette and and, and in, in the story, there's one who's angry and resentful and there's one who forgives. And let's say you never mention Jesus or Christianity, or the Bible. And then you ask somebody, who's the Christian in this story? Everybody, oh, that's the, the guy who forgave. Because in our mind, yeah, that's what, it, that's what Jesus came to do. And yet, some Christians have a hard time with that. Still hanging on to stuff. Still upset. And you can tell because what they'll do is they'll come to you and they will tell you about this person, what a terrible person they are. And and, and it's it's like you didn't hear a word he said in the Bible. Had nothing to do with what other, this has nothing to do with the other person. Right? It has to do with something inside of us. Number four, a little quote here says, other studies that suggest chronic unforgiving responses may erode health, whereas forgiving responses may enhance it. This is how they put it. When people start uh, or refuse to forgive, it erodes your health. When you start forgiving, 
it enhances your health. And you know what? You don't have to call that in to the pharmacist. You don't, want, you don't have to ask for a generic brand of forgiveness. You don't have to, you're only allowed to take one pill a day. Sometimes Jesus says you might have to uh, take 490 pills a day. But it's something that is deep working inside of us. Anybody have anything right here before I move on? Pam Glenna, way in the back. One of the things that really helped me was that movie War Room where um, the older black lady had that wife write out, I don't know, five or six pages of everything she was upset about with her husband. And, but at the end, she said, it was just a reminder that all of that is washed away because of our sins and so even though we may be justified in some kind of anger always to remember to come back to where how much Jesus has forgiven us very good because this is where people live this is goes beyond the realm of oh this is fascinating this is interesting it gets down to where we are uh the cure here is repentance and forgiveness. James 5, 13. Uh, did I, I gave that out, I believe. Yeah, go ahead, Barb. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So here is this very interesting passage where James uh, says, If any among you sick, let him call for the elders of the church. So this is an interesting thing. I want to conclude here because we're going to pray right now in a minute. But it says, call for the elders of the church. So the reason why is because in the, we get a little glimpse into first century Christianity. And that was the understanding that there is a spiritual dimension to what's going on in my life. And when I'm sick, it's like, let him call for the doctor. But let him, let him reach out for some spiritual guidance and direction here. And the, uh, the Bible says that the elders... Uh, come and minister, and the Bible says, pray over him, anoint him. And the Bible says that prayer of faith will save the sick. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another. The Bible says that you might be healed. And so what he's, what he's doing is he's giving us a, a picture of praying with people. And as you, uh, they've reached out to you, and I, I want prayer that it, the, the uh, minister... Uh, begins to talk to them and say, okay, let's address this spiritually. Is, is there anything we can pray about? Is there anything that's going on in your life that uh, when, you, when this sickness came on you, was there anything else that happened at that time in your life? Uh, sometimes you'll inquire about, is this hereditary? Is this something that's generational? Uh, uh, 
was, uh, uh, have you been involved in witchcraft sometimes for particular things? Have you messed around with this? Uh, are you right with your parents? Are you right with your pastor? There's there some anger, resentment, bitterness, re uh, rebellion. Uh, but most often, are you angry at somebody? I don't know how many times I pray for people, nothing happens, and then can I ask you a question? Some, a lot of times when I pray with people, they're holding bitterness or resentment. Are you angry at somebody? And, uh, and then, you know, some people, oh no, I love everybody. But lots of people will say yes. If it's in a public setting, I'll take the microphone away and I'll ask them who. What's their name? And uh, if you're asking me, I say seven out of ten times, it's my father. But uh, you will ask them that, and then you, you, are you willing to forgive them? And I mean, usually at that point, emotionally it wells up. Because this is deep in them. This is, this is in them. And are you willing to forgive them? And you're, what you're doing is they're going there. It's there. It's like, in a, you know, if you were to, to me, uh, Jeremiah's imagery of uh, how God was going to, after everything, was still going to save Jerusalem if they would just release the slaves and they released them and then they changed their mind and they took him and they brought him back. I, I preach a sermon on forgiveness. That's what we do. You know, we want to we we stop hurting our back hurting so we forgive, but the next day we bring them back. And, and so, you know, getting people to go there, go down to that little dungeon that they have in their, in their heart and unlock it and let that person out. And a lot of times, I mean, you start dealing with emotion, but words are powerful. And when they say, I forgive, I mean, they immediately get healed. Dramatic healings. Pain, just gone. Just, just, God just touches them. I mean, how many of us have seen that? Let's be honest. Come on now. How many have seen that? You over and over and over again. Just, that, just let him go. Open up the, go down there, ding, ding. You know, I remember when I was in Russia and they almost, uh, I got in trouble there and this guy came with this giant ring with these old keys that looked like they're from the 1300s. And uh, I thought, oh man, I'm in for it now, you know. And you go down and you open up and you open and there they are. And you, just, and you let them out and you let them go. God touches you. And that's what this guy's doing. If, 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 is there something going on here? Do you need to forgive? Are you willing? I mean, if I were to ask you now, who really makes you mad? Who would come to your mind? You wouldn't have to search. You're like, well, <sighs> you know, no. If they're there, then within a half a second, you knew exactly who it was. Because they're there. They're down sitting in a dungeon, deep down inside your soul. And they're just there. And you have to say, you know, this is, this is injuring me. This is hurting me. Cliff. Uh, 
Just a, a quick comment about the, the beauty of deliverance. Back in 2009, my wife and I were able to go to Costa Rica back when Luis Hernandez was there. And there was a lady, I, I ministered along the subject of this on, uh, to forgive. And this lady came up for healing and she was bitter with unforgiveness for, according to her words, over 20 years. And we... I basically led her in a prayer to forgive, which was, she was a little reluctant in doing, and I took the mic away, and I was like, who is it? And she said it was her husband who left the family. And so she prayed the prayer finally, and I mean, the, it was like a cloud lifted off of her. You saw the change immediately. She invited us over to her house afterwards, and what was so what really blessed my soul was last conference here, our conference, she came and she saw me in the hallway and immediately I knew who she was, but she looked radiant Hallelujah. just because of the deliverance. And she says, my life has been blessed since Hallelujah. we prayed that prayer. Yes, amen. That's the power of what we're talking about this morning. And the thing is, all of us can do it. You're not condemned to stay bitter. You know, it's like, man, it's your fault I'm mad. No. When Jesus Christ died on that cross, he spoke those words, Father, forgive them. He was depositing something in our salvation. And that is the ability to no matter what happens, you can be forgiven. All of us have met people who have suffered horrible, horrible things in life. Way beyond my experience. People that have mean hardcore things. And yet they have a great spirit. They have a smile. They're loving. They have a grace on them. And there's this thing inside of us that somehow says, no, this is different. You don't understand. This is different. My situation's different. You can be forgiven. Number five. For Azaria Boda, a 33-year-old teaching assistant from Vancouver, Canada, it was a falling out with one of her best friends that opened her eyes to the healing powers of forgiveness. Azaria's anger stayed with her and so did her headaches and stomach pain. It was only after a pleading apology from her friend and a tearful reconciliation that Azaria's head finally cleared and her appetite returned. It was then that she made the connection. Her anger had been making her sick. I felt lighter, says Azaria. Letting go of that anger was the first step. So each of these little uh, articles are just, you know, these aren't, these aren't Christians. These are people that just figured out, hey, you know what? There's something to this. There's something to do this. Am I st in this study, I have not said don't take medication, don't go to the doctor. I don't believe that any of that. But why not start with this? Why not be, if any man's sick, let him call for the elders. Let's, let's do this. If something, you know what, confess this, that I might be healed. Because the doctor can do everything, but he can't put his stethoscope on your heart to, ah, you're bitter. But God wants to help you this morning.
Let's stand. We're going to pray a prayer together. And we're going to believe God because the law of averages tells me that there are people here that right now you're, you are being dealt with by the spirit of God. There's bitterness, there's resentment, there's anger. You've fallen into the trap of when you're in pain and everything that you release them. And then the next day, once the pain is gone, you grab them and you've taken and you put them back in the dungeon. And that's not free. You wouldn't consider yourself free if you uh, only smoked marijuana three times a week. If you only went to the bottle once a week, you wouldn't say that's freedom. It's not freedom if you still remain angry at the same person over and over again. That's not freedom. There's no other solution. Say, so, well, let's have a meeting. Let's mediate. Let's... It doesn't work. Forgiveness. And there are people here physically, you need a healing right now in your body. And it begins right here. I want you to pray with me. And at a point in this prayer, I'm going to ask you to forgive them and name them by name silently. This is nobody else's business. I want you to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that you have forgiven me for all of my sins. Today, I forgive. Name them. For every violation. And I repent of the things that I have said about this person. By the blood of Jesus, I speak healing to my body. All bitterness, anger, and resentment must leave me. I am healed in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Father, I ask you right now for a miracle. Father, I plead the blood of Jesus that would bring healing and deliverance. I speak health to bones, O oh God, that are rotting. Father, I come against right now pain and injury. God, we overrule word curses spoken against ourselves. Father, I pray deliverance in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll just say one last thing because we're going to, uh, this is the end of our studying. You forgive. Three things that a, a person who generally forgives does. Number one, you pray for that person. Specifically, you start praying for him. You can't hate someone you pray for. Number two is you speak the words, I forgive. Next time somebody comes to you and wants to talk about it, you say, you know what? God dealt with me. I've forgiven them. I'm done. You use the word number three. Don't tell the story anymore. It's over. You're never going to be healed if you go in and you repeat the story. All right. Okay. We're going to pick up service in a few minutes. Lord bless you.